Hello, welcome to Talking Fit. I'm Paul Rose. I'm joined as ever by Luke Morgan. And today we have the epitome of beauty meets brains himself, Mr. Josh Taylor. <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. This is the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I am a personal trainer who likes to try to make all the fitness science less serious or funny in any way, um, or just easy to understand, I guess. And, uh, in that I embark that knowledge and delivery of that knowledge so that people can basically make their bodies mirror their awesome. So, you know, feel good, build muscle, burn fat, um, all the usual bits and bobs, but, uh, like to deliver it in a in a more fun way shall we say um and try not to make it so so boring because you uh presumably being mostly online now um or totally online now a lot of your business comes from like your instagram videos and your stories and all that kind of stuff and obviously with social media you get you get a lot of bullshit um a lot of fit tea and people who've been on like i don't know made in chelsea selling some kind of fat burner or something um so how how do you make yourself kind of stand out from that that crowd um because i know obviously you're trying to put across a very science-backed evidence-based kind of message and, and like you say for a lot of people that's boring they want to hear hey if you drink this tea then you'll get skinny um so how do you kind of get around all that? Yeah, like you say, science isn't sexy. Let's put it that way. And um, the people who are selling the fit teas and the detox diets and stuff, you know, they're usually beautiful people and people like to buy from beautiful people. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's just it is what it is. And um, so the way I try to differentiate myself is through my personality, I guess, really, and just my humor um, to put, put, put a spin on it. And that's what I actually, this is what I say to uh, personal trainers who I actually coach um, is like, when you're in this market, which is saturated with lots of stuff, you know, there's a lot, everyone's an online coach, you know, how do you make yourself stand out? Like the thing that's gonna make you stand out is you, like just be yourself. And, you know, cause as fitness professionals, we all draw from the same kind of, pool of information so to speak so it's just trying to push that information through the lens that is that is you your personality your humor your whatever your little idiosyncrasies are and then that's how you differentiate yourself but the way i try to just go above that a little bit more is i do try to make sure everything is referenced you know backed with science so that you know what i'm saying isn't just a, a another pile of shit added to the storm so to speak excuse my excuse my french but um yeah it's because there, there is just so much out there right there is just so much misinformation more than information i would say because there's no filter on it really you know so the social media needs to be doing more and like pinning down on things like that but that's why there needs to be people you know who are evidence-based who aren't afraid to call out these people or you know at least educate the followers that they do have on why this is wrong you know this is what they're saying but this is what the science says and this is you know what actual evidence is suggesting so don't listen to that dickwad over there make sure you listen to something that actually has some backing behind it and gives people the confidence then to to you know put trust into you and then that, again you know by then putting trust into you they build a following and then yeah it just helps a little bit more yeah totally so kind of going on to your your background a little bit so obviously when i saw you a lot more frequently back in the day uh you were training a lot for for bodybuilding shows you were doing miami pro you were pretty successful with it you were winning shows and and placing um so just give us a little bit of insight into into that and how you got into that and and what your kind of not schedule what your kind of day-to-day -day would look like when you were training for that kind of thing to be fair like i still don't know how i got into those budgie smugglers which, <laughs> when i got into stage like I'm, that's still a mystery to me so i won't be able to answer that but how i got into the actual kind of quote-unquote sport 
I like how they call it a sport. It's not really a sport. Like everything up leading to it is kind of like a sport, but on the day, it's a it's a beauty pageant. It's a glorified glorified beauty pageant, basically. Um, so yeah, how did I get into it? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question, man. <laughs> Again, still on reflection, I'm like, how did I end up putting, you know, wood varnish on myself and then dancing about on stage like some kind of um, uh, flamingo? I don't know, but. I think it came from like I started with boxing so that was my original kind of sport that I was in and I did that for nearly a decade and then I finished that because of injuries and I just kind of fell out of love with the sport and I, I needed another comp I needed something else because it needed to satisfy my competitive nature uh just getting into personal training meaning I was just getting into the gym you know lifting weights and so I think I did like weights for like two three years before I was like Oh, right, yeah, let's jump on the competition because that's apparently what you do. Um, is you do weights for a couple of years and then you're like, Yeah, right, cool, get a jump on and put myself into a thong and go on stage. Um, <laughs> and on hindsight, again, I should have waited a little bit longer and, and put some more muscle on, but it is what it is. And uh, yeah, getting into that, I booked into my first Miami Pro, which was like a fitness modeling competition. Um, so it wasn't like as extreme as bodybuilding with like getting super, super dry, shredded glutes or anything like that. It was get really lean, have good musculature, uh, but put some budgie smugglers on and pose a little bit and pout with your mouth. And it was a bit more like, yeah, cool, I can do that. That's a bit me, you know, because I'm a bit camp in nature, so it works. And uh, yeah, I, I basically uh, prepped for, I think my first show, and this is when I was 21, so, I, prepped for I think it was like 16 maybe 20 weeks um because I just didn't know like I'd never dieted before in my life like when you're boxing you don't focus on fucking diet you're focusing on eating enough to to make sure you don't get knocked out and perform well in the ring so this was the first time I like properly dieted so I needed to give myself enough time going on like bodybuilding websites and forums just figuring out like oh how do I how do I even do this shit man is this you know crazy and then, yeah, got, I won my first show, which was cool. And that kind of gave me a bit of motivation to keep doing it. I think I did two more shows after that. <laughs> Funny enough, I kind of went, I got worse. So I, got, I won my first show and then I got second, then I got third. And then I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm only going one way after this. Finishing that high. So, and yeah, then I think um, after the, the third time, and this was no discredit to the person who won. Awesome. You know, they done their hard work. I, Cause it's a subjective sport. So I came third and I looked at the guy who was first. And I was like, well, if I have to look like he does to become first, like, I don't want to do this. Like, you know, whatever. I'm just going to train because I like training and, and get, you know, try and get massive and whatever else. Um, and I'm still trying to do that. It's not a mission accomplished by, <laughs> by far. And yeah just that's kind of how I got into it and you know it's, it's definitely been an experience which I'm glad I did for sure it's you brought up a really interesting point actually in the the diet sense of things because like you said in boxing and in pretty much any other sport if you're doing it to any kind of competitive level you're eating to to fuel yourself and to make sure you don't pass out when you're training yeah. and that normally involves eating quite a lot of good stuff and topping it up with a bit of crap unless you are literally a professional athlete whereas in the, the kind of physique world bodybuilding world competitive fitness world it's it's not the opposite but you're you're really trying to limit how much you eat because you you need to keep your fat down as low as possible and yeah. then also train to a really high level so just tell us a little bit about that and how you kind of get through days like it's uh it's like there are some days which are just grueling you're just like you you're a zombie especially towards the end like i would say for two-thirds of the prep it's really good like it's healthy you know all you're doing is you're just eating healthy you're watching what you eat more meticulous than most people but you know you're still having to have nutrient-dense foods um making sure you're getting a good balance of it and, and training hard but then it's the last kind of third of the prep where you're getting towards show day and then calories are becoming super low and yeah you get days where you're flagging but you know 
it's my mentality was like I put myself through this so I can't really complain I just need to you know you just need to get on with it and do it um and by that time you're kind of you're in such a routine and habit because like I said you had been dieting for let's say you know 12 weeks prior and those last four to eight weeks are the ones that really suck and um so by that time you're in routine you're in your habits um and it's just a case of having a mental battle just trying to stand up and make sure because like when you're training you've actually got more energy so like when you're like that's when you're feeling great so it's the rest of the day when you're trying to like train other people and you can barely put words out like it's just like you literally it's 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 tough because it has such a big impact on every other aspect of your life this is why I kind of got out of bodybuilding as well, because it is selfish. And unless you're able to commit fully to it, like obviously you're going there to win. You don't diet for 20 weeks and put yourself through hell just to like, oh, I want to take part. You know, so you're going to win. And for that, you need to be extremely selfish with your time, with what you're doing. And, you know, at that time I could do that. You know, I was 21. So it's like, yeah, fine, I'll do that. But yeah, a lot of it was getting on with it um making sure you don't pass out when you're you know like say with clients or just walking to the shops but generally it was okay like I didn't I didn't ever have like any like really bad like I had a couple like my first prep I had a couple episodes where I binged um so you know it was again because I've never dieted before so before that I was you know I was dieting for what is it I think it's like yeah I think about the 12 week mark and I hadn't had a cheat meal or anything like that in that time because I just didn't know any better um and then I think I had like I just couldn't I I started opening this peanut butter jar and then like one scoop of my finger turned into a fucking fistful and then it turned into like whatever was in my cup and it wasn't even nice stuff you know it was like old cereal bars which I hadn't even touched for like freaking years but because I was just like so ravenous and then like I opened the floodgates, I was just like fucking ravaging everything. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you just get days like that. Right. But then you're like, right, I need to pick myself up, you know, go back on it. And, um, and that's all you can do is just try to mitigate those bad days. Um, take advantage of the good days where you have got lots of energy. And uh, like you rightly said, you know, with other sports, you're, eating and training to perform whereas you know when I'm on stage that's when I'm at my absolute like <laughs> weakest I'm like oh you know if it wasn't for the rice cakes and jam behind the you know behind backstage then again it's just really tough for you to do that and not only that you're having to then flex everything which is like so tiring and because you're you're dehydrated and you're you know you're hungry you're cramping and you're like oh my god and you've got like try and keep your composure in your face it's an experience, that's for sure. But it was, um, like I say, it was a, a good learning curve for me um, going forward. For those who don't know, obviously you spend. You just said you're spending 16 to 20 weeks prep. Was that on your first one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any longer with the others? Uh, no, the second one was similar, actually. I think I started, yeah, I would say I think 16 weeks on the second one. Uh, the first one was a bit longer. Second one, I was like, oh, okay, I don't really need that long. So I think I cut it by four weeks. So I think it was six. So four or five months. Obviously, that's a lot of work to put in. And as you said, you're you're basically scored on somebody's opinion, aren't you? How long are you in that exact physique for? <laughs> it's not long, is it? <laughs> for me, mm, I think it was like 15 hours. Only, <laughs> like, because like I literally like as soon as I got off stage, it was like right Dunkin' Donuts pizza and go. And uh, <laughs> I think the next day, the amount of water that I retained, I put on about three, four kilos overnight or something like that. And then the rest of the week was just again because I had no sense of control on what I was eating, so I was just like yeah, <laughs> just kind of went crazy. Um, but yeah, as for the actual like, how long do I keep that physique for? Um, not long the second time I kept it longer because I had some photo shoots lined up so like I had a backup plan that time um, but the first time was like yeah it was like letting a dog off the lead really and then um, never getting it back <laughs> I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about bodybuilding pre and post social media and how 
back in the day, um, before there was any Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, an athlete would 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 train for the the 16, 20 weeks. They'd do the show, maybe like you said, retain it for a little bit to do some photo shoots, and then they'd chill out and and just kind of let themselves go for the rest of the year, and then do a maybe another show later that year, but probably wouldn't do one until the following year. Mm. Um, so it'd be kind of like they'd have a proper off season. Whereas now the athletes have got to maintain maybe not like a, a 2%, 4% body fat kind of physique, but they need to sit around like 8% pretty much the entire year. Cause they're, they're doing stuff on social media and stuff. And that's where they can get sponsorships from and they need followers to look at them and go, Oh, they're in really good shape. Not, Oh, they're a bit fat and, and not, not bother with them. Mm. Um, so how, Obviously, when you were doing it, there was social media, there was Instagram, but not to the extent there is now. How, like, what would your view be on that kind of kind of debate, if you like? Uh, what's well, so like the pre and post kind yeah, of social media yeah. kind of thing? So it's really like with bodybuilding, I think social media has been it's 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 got its pros and cons. Like, you know, because of social media, bodybuilding is like mainstream now, especially with like the physique categories and like everyone's in shape and well not everyone's in shape but a lot of lot it's become a lot more mainstream um there was the aesthetic revolution in the like early 2000s where let's say early 2000 like 2011 um where everyone wanted to get shredded and it was just like fashionable to be shredded um now it's the complete opposite but it's it's harder for i would when i say like the bodybuilding industry like when i say the um like the federations and industry and actual sport itself i don't know like bodybuilders are bodybuilders like they'll do what they want to do so you know the actual hardcore bodybuilders social media or no social media you know they're going there because they love bodybuilding it's the other people who are like dipping their toe in it i guess me really to a degree you know who we, we dip our toe into it and you know, then we're like, all right, now I need to build up a following on social media. And then they were more focused on that side of things, right? So you really have those two camps. You've got people who love bodybuilding, did bodybuilding, social media or no social media. And they would have just, they would just always do bodybuilding. And you've got people who kind of did it for social media or they did it for another reason. Um, and, you know, then that's where it becomes really dangerous, right? Because like you say, they have to try to keep that, you know, all year round, they've got to try and maintain that physique, which is very hard to do, you know, as a natural competitor, you know, that's where then you dive into the world of, okay, well, I need to be taking some sort of, you know, performance enhancing drug to allow me to maintain this muscle mass, this, this body fat um, year round so that I can hold on to my sponsorships, so I can keep my followers, so I can tell my followers that I'm natural and sell them some freaking vegan protein powder, which obviously doesn't work. You know, there's all these kind of things involved with social media. So it's been a platform for the like newer categories like physique and allowed that to be mainstream, which has allowed the bodybuilding industry to make even more money, which is great because then, of course, that means, you know, it's becoming more mainstream. However, there's a negative of it having an effect on a lot of people as well, like not just the bodybuilders themselves and the athletes and the people who are running the social media pages, but then their followers, right? They're like, wow, these people have these amazing physiques all year round. Why don't I look like that? And then that's where it creates this massive shift in body dysmorphia, you know, um, and there's been plenty of studies to show how bodybuilding affects um, people's psychology. You know, again, they, ha they usually build eating disorders, whether that be orthorexia or binge eating or, you know, other um, eating disorders you know, around that kind of culture. Uh, body dysmorphia going around all time high with it. Um, yeah, there's, that's, the, that's, the that's the negative side of, of bodybuilding, really. And, um, and again, I think, I don't know if that would be, I, I think that's made worse by social media, but I'm sure bodybuilders who wouldn't have had that, you know, still feel the same um, because they're it's, a, it's, a, it's a sport where you are literally comparing one body to another. Um, so it would be very hard for you in that scenario not to compare your own body <laughs> to another body, you know, so. Yeah, the, the way you're describing it, it sounds like it's less of a, the social media isn't necessarily the problem. It's just the thing that makes it visible. 
um, is is what lets people see. Oh, hang on a minute, that's what's going on. It gives pe- gives people that window, that that insight in, um, and yeah. then you know those. Well, so, uh, that's all social media. Like social media is just a tool, and this is what I've, I've said to people anyway. It's like like any tool, like any drug, you know, if you use it too much, it's going to have a negative effect, right? So if you're constantly comparing yourself to people who make you feel bad about yourself, you know, you have control on that. Like you can control who you fucking follow, you know, like you can curate your own environment within social media. Um, Like now that I've come out of that kind of side of fitness, so to speak, like I unfollowed so many fitness models and bodybuilders and people who, if I looked at and I was like, fuck, I should be really you know, focusing on that and, and why don't I look like that? If they sparked any kind of negative emotion in me like that, I just unfollowed them. And now when I go on social media, it's a great place for me because it's where I can learn stuff. It's where I can connect with people. You know, there are still people who inspire me, but they don't make me feel bad about myself. Um, and I think, like I said, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a tool to be used. And I mean, it's not going away. So, you know, it's... Um, there needs to be a level of responsibility for the people who are putting stuff out for the creators. You know, they need to be transparent if they are putting out something photoshopped or if they're using drugs or something like that, there needs to be some kind of regulation on that. And then the consumer also has a, I think a responsibility to, you know, curate who the hell they follow, because if you're following people who are going to make you feel shit, I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's a degree of responsibility there for you to, to sort out. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned. <laughs> it's interesting Sorry, was... you mentioned the um, like being open about uh, using drugs and performance enhancers because that does seem to be a massive, massive issue in in that world in particular at the moment. Like, obviously, yeah. drugs have been in sport long before bodybuilding came into the the mainstream, but those drugs weren't really being used purely to make them change their appearance and then those athletes weren't saying hey look you can look like this without taking anything it just opens up a whole new can of of problems when you've got someone who is taking performance enhancers to alter their own appearance or photoshopping to alter their own appearance telling people they're not using it to sell them something then yeah. those people are buying that something, not getting the results, not looking like the person and not knowing that the reason is because they never had a chance in the first place because they're not being honest about how they, they got into that shape. Yeah, um, it's sold an empty dream. Yeah. Yeah. Massively. It's, it's a big problem. Um, thankfully that, I mean, there are, you know, there are a few, and I say a few um, in the grand scheme of things, people who are transparent with their use, uh, mainly in the UK, because obviously in America, it's illegal to even talk about it. Um, so, it, you know, these are UK-based athletes, you know, Jordan, Jordan Peters for one, very successful you know, bodybuilder who's kind of really started the whole education on anabolics for a lot of people in the bodybuilding industry. So I, I do think it's improving in areas because people are at least being educated on it by people who have some experience and knowledge behind it. Because a lot of people, you know, if they go on it, you know, these, this is like powerful stuff that people are using. They've got no fucking idea. You know, Dave from the gym says that he runs a course of trend, D-ball and, and testosterone in this first kind of cycle. And like, you know, that's just like something which Ronnie Coleman would be you know, wanting to run. Um, and then they wonder why they, their organs are, you know, fucking up. So, yeah, it's it's uh it's like you say part and parcel with bodybuilding drugs is you know name of the game and i think i always say to people because they always like oh is this person natural is this person not i'm like look you know the only person that knows is them and you're probably better off assuming that they are rather than they're not even fitness models who look good and healthy but they're most likely still on something like anavar just keeping them lean or whatever yeah there's a lot there and again, there does need to be more transparency in the fitness industry. Um, but I think the fitness industry as a whole is shifting. Like um, it's shifting more towards evidence-based as opposed to aesthetics and supplements and everything else. It's now focusing more towards health, performance, strength, um, you know, except like definitely body positivity and self-acceptance is a big thing, which is great. 
and you know that's that's where the industry is heading and I, I think you know there just needs to be more platforms for people like that um so that they can get their voice in over the big juice heads who are holding a, a tub of protein uh that are looking pumped and jacked as fuck because unfortunately that's like we said earlier you know that sells that's sexy right it's like, oh wow look at that person oh uh, well that person's talking about how calories in calories out is it oh, yeah, whatever oh nice if i just take this supplement i'm going to burn you know five pounds this week great you know that's the person i'm going to listen to and that's kind of the the world we live in but yeah it's just trying to make it a little bit more transparent i guess yeah that's that's where the likes of uh, I think you mentioned before we came on Lane Norton. Uh, that's where he's really good at breaking through the the bullshit, basically. And he's a guy who is in good shape. He's he's pretty ripped. You look at him and you might go, "Oh, I want to look like that." And then he's talking about calories in versus calories out, and and he's talking about the the evidence based stuff. And he's got the degrees to back it up. Um, he, he, you know, it's not it's not bro science. It's not oh yeah, so uh, you need to do this to, to build your upper chest and this to build your lower chest and you need to eat this and not eat that. And it's like, well, what's your backing for that? Oh, that's uh, the guy I was chatting to in the changing room. It's like, well, you know, that's nothing, is it? But on the kind of almost sticking with the misinformation vibe we've got going on, um, something me and Luke wanted to do today was just kind of give you a few statements and commonly heard statements uh in in fitness in health uh, and just get your kind of response to them and we'll kind of go from there uh see what kind of conversation develops from it uh so luke if you want to jump in first okay right uh first one we got is hit is the best way to burn fat it is, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, every class in every gym apparently uh, dictates. Yeah. It's one of those misnomers, right? It's like hit, but people aren't even doing hit um, because hit is usually so intense. People aren't fucking fit enough to get to that level of intensity. So really what they're doing is like some medium intensity circuit based thing, because if you're doing real hit, you can't do it for more than like 10 minutes or 15 minutes because it's like, you know, 90%, 95% of your max heart rate. Like you are trying to get to a, a very, very high level. And then you've got people who are, you know, in David Lloyd doing this hit session for an hour. And you're like, well, that's, that's definitely not hit. I don't know what, what you're doing there. So I think that's one thing I'd like to kind of break apart first is just the definition of hit, right? You know, high intensity interval training, you are going to your absolute maximum for a short period of time and then you're resting and then you're trying to do that again. And that's what weight training is as well. If you think about it, right? Weight training, you're going maximum effort, you're having a rest, you know, so weight training and, and HIIT training are, are very similar. Um, and there's actually quite a lot of studies which have compared the two, like what are better for you know, fat loss, et cetera, or how they affect muscle gain, all that stuff. But when it comes to like actual fat loss, there's no difference between HIIT and steady state right there was a meta-analysis uh, done on around 30 studies and again they showed like basically there was no difference between the two i think hit maybe had a little bit more but it wasn't statistically significant to say that yeah hit is definitely you know better than than steady state and i think the main benefit of hit anyway is just it's time right because like if i was to give a lot of people advice on calorie expenditure because we all know when it comes to fat loss it's not the cardio or the type of training you're doing right it's your total calorie expenditure of the of the entire day which is going to be predominantly dictated by your diet and your activity in the day so those are the two variables that you really want to be focusing on not the type of fucking cardio you're trying to do and if i'm prescribing a client uh, what they need to be doing to burn fat after they've got their diet side of things, I'm usually going to go for something like, like walking, right? Because everyone can walk. There's very few people, you know, excluding a, obviously a few who are going to be, able, you know, they can walk, right? So they're going to, their fitness levels are going to be um, good enough to walk. There's, whereas with like things like running and sprinting, you know, there's, it's just going to be too high of a demand. The only thing with that is it's time consuming. So if somebody's short for time, then yeah, implement some cardio. Um, but again, 
if, if you're doing steady state where you're doing a light jog or something on a bike compared to like doing balls to the wall on a, you know, um, what bike smashing it out, it does it, the, the effects on fat loss are going to be minimal like difference. Um, so it's whatever you, you know, your schedule allows for your fitness level allows for. Um, and I like, some people like to argue the epoch, you know, the, um, yeah, yeah. Excess, uh, post, uh, exercise exercise post exercise post consumption with, with, with hit cardio. They're like, yeah, you burn like 48 hours after your workout, you burn like the same amount, like 300 calories. And you're like, actually it's something like, I think it's like an extra hundred calories, uh, a couple hours after your workout. It's like, okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, again, anything of any significance, um, which a lot of people like to use as justification for doing hit. So yeah, that's, that's my two pennies worth on that one is like, you know, it's, it's really not superior for fat loss. If you enjoy doing hit, great, do hit because you're going to do it more. Um, just be careful not to do it, you know, too often because it may eat into your recovery, may affect the stuff that does, you know, that is going to be effective, like getting stronger in the gym um, if you're doing too much of it. But um, as a general rule of thumb, if you enjoy it, great, knock yourself out, but don't think that it's any superior to fat loss than steady state or just, again, making sure that your calorie expenditure and your NEAT is high enough in the entire day. Yeah, yeah. Like NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the thing that you've got probably, that's the thing you can influence the most easily in your life, in my opinion. Like you can choose to walk upstairs rather than take a lift. And if you're doing that multiple times a day, particularly in the pre-COVID world when you might be working in an office block or something, then you can make a massive, a much bigger dent on your daily calorie expenditure like that than you can with an hour in the gym. Or massively, and that's the thing that's gonna it's gonna add up because you've got if you're sleeping for eight hours a day, you're awake for sixteen. You spend one of them in the gym. You're sat down for fifteen. Well by walking or whatever it is for 15 minutes of those 15 hours, you've done a hell of a lot more exercise there than you have in your hour in the gym. So yeah, get uh, with, without on. a doubt, like that's what, that's what I tell my clients as well. It's like, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. If you go to a gym for three hours, what the fuck do you think is going to make a bigger influence on your fat loss? Those three hours or the 165 hours left that you do with it, you know? So it's it, when people hear it like that, they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, and it's just, it's just pulling out like that. And then, then people get it and they kind of penny drops and they realize they don't have to be doing these ridiculous, crazy, you know, five day hit sessions and um, training twice a day and, you know, putting themselves through absolute hell. Cause I'm not going to lie. Most people who enjoy lifting hate cardio. Right. And I'm one of those people. I fucking hate cardio. So if there's a way for me to lose fat, without having to do a lot of cardio, I will, I will always take that path of least resistance. Um, but people chain themselves to the treadmill and uh, put themselves through absolute hell, be, even though they don't enjoy it, um, because they think that's what they need to do. And really, in the grand scheme of things, like cardio is literally, it's like the, it's like the sprinkling on top. It's like after you utilize most of your other arsenal, then, you know, you pull it in last. That's kind of my... people will say they'll say well paul you do loads of running but i don't run to get in shape i run because i run ultra marathons and and marathons unless it's like i can't do them without doing cardio but if you're trying to get in shape you the weights come wrong with all the weights your daily activity i think you did a post recently about running versus walking um talking about how much running raises your appetite and stuff like if I'm training for a big long race, I'll probably put on weight when I'm training yeah. rather than lose it just because I'm ravenous all the fucking time. Like you just <laughs> want to eat. You see a cake yeah. on the side, you eat the cake. Like that's not how you lose weight or you, you reduce body fat. Yeah. There needs to be that difference between performance and fat loss. Like they aren't yeah. one of the same in all aspects, you know, um, it, a clear example is simply with diet as well. Like if you're training for performance, you need to make sure everything is, um, you know, nutrient dense and is going to provide you the best energy that's, you know, for that, for that particular sport, whatever it may be. But with fat loss, you can literally eat 
I mean, you could literally eat anything as long as you're just eating enough calories within it and you will still, you know, lose fat. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in the best position to perform your best. So, yeah, it's, there, there needs to be that distinction because people think, oh, I need to be running like fucking 5K and 10K for me. It's like, well, yeah, if you want to run 5Ks and 10Ks, you, you go do that. But, you know, if you want to lose fat, there's, there's an easier method to it. And um, like you said, you just you get ravenous with cardio. Uh, like you'll eat a, a child's arm or something. Um, that's probably the worst thing I could have said. But, yeah, you will be so hungry. And for people who are looking to lose fat, that's that's not a good thing <laughs> to be super super hungry um, okay so next one which we've kind of led into this quite well carbs make you fat so we hear cut carbs you'll lose weight carbs are the devil they increase insulin levels which makes you store more fat they they get stored as fat if you don't burn them off etc etc there's so many reasons we're told that carbs are the reason that people gain weight and that we should cut them out of our diet or dramatically reduce them from our diet in order to to lose weight to lose fat yeah this one this one's fun (laughs) so i think again people usually who are in the low carb crowd um are also in the low sugar crowd they you know they usually are one of the same again they they put two together like oh, sugar's the devil, carbs are you know bad. You can't eat carbs after six p.m. Whatever you know the usual notions are. And there was, there used to be up to the year two thousand, there used to be a correlation between you know carbohydrate and sugar intake and obesity. Okay, so then you know from an external point of view, you're like, ah, oh, well that makes sense. You know, if sugar's going up and obesity rates are going up, sugar must make people fat. That's that must, that's simple, right? But then after the year 2000, sugar intake goes down and obesity is still going up. So, and low carb zealots never, they never talk about that part of the graph. They only go up to the year 2000. They never go past that one. And again, when it comes to the whole insulin fairy, which is a massive favorite of mine, because people just don't quite understand what insulin is, right? Insulin is a storage hormone. It will store everything. Okay, so, you know, if you eat uh, a fat-based meal, you're still going to spike insulin. If you eat a protein-based meal, you're still going to spike insulin. Right? It's going to be spiked um, because it is a storage hormone. Carbohydrates, yes, they do spike it most out of, the other, you know, out of the other three macronutrients. Carbohydrates will spike insulin the highest. But insulin, <laughs> and this is where people get confused because they're kind of right and they're kind of not. Right. So they're like, oh, if insulin's high, then you can't burn fat. It's like, yes, when insulin is high, you will blunt lipolysis, right? Fat burning. However, this is usually only after a meal. So directly after a meal, insulin is spiked and then it comes back down again. And then what happens? <laughs> Funny enough, you burn fat, you start burning fat again when you're in these fasting states between meals and when you're asleep you know, your insulin is dropped down, lipolysis will occur again, um, it will stop with, because again, insulin will, if it's high, it will also promote lipogenesis, so um, the storage of fats, but that will, that will stop when you're in these fasting periods. So yeah, there's so much evidence to show how carbohydrates um, do not make you fat, and it is the overall calories, right? So if you eat too many carbs, you're eating too many calories. But it's the same as if you eat too much, too much fat and you eat too many calories, you're going to put on fat. If you eat too much protein, I mean, it'll be fucking hard, but if you eat too much protein and it takes you over your calorie allowance, you are going to lose fat. Sorry, you're not going to lose fat. You're going to put on, um, put on fat. So yeah, it's, you know, it's the overall calorie allowance of the entire day, not carbohydrates. And this has been shown as well, like in the uh, real life scenarios of um, the Hadza tribe. This is something uh, Stefan Guiné spoke about in his book, uh, The Hungry Brain. And uh, the Hadza tribe, uh, basically this tribe who have a diet consisting of 70% carbohydrates, right? 15% of their diet is coming just from honey, which is basically just pure sugar anyway. And they've got no prevalence of obesity. They have never seen an obese person in their fucking life. Um, and there are many cultures that are like that, right? They have predominantly high carb diets and there's a very low prevalence of obesity. Um, so it's not 
it can't be carbs. But it's just easy for us to blame carbs because, you know, the media has put it that way. Uh, you know, we like to just, as humans, we like to just pin it on just one thing. We don't like to have to use our brain and think about, wait, what? Cal calories and hyperpalability of foods and like other shit which could possibly contribute to this? No, no, no. It's just carbs. It's just easy for me to say carbs. And even when we look at low carb diets, it's funny because it's not necessarily the low carbs that helps. It's the fact that because they've gone lower carb, they've had to go higher protein. And so because they've gone higher protein, it's actually the higher protein that's helped um, with their fat loss instead of the less you know, lower carbs because they've done diets where um, like diet studies where they've given people different compositions of macronutrients. So like high carb, low carb, high fat, um, whatever, right? Made, made up, given to different groups and they've all lost similar weight. Again, showing that when protein and calories are equated for, because protein is more thermogenic, so you will burn more calories if you're digesting protein, that you will lose similar amounts of weight. And it really comes down to preference, which is a, a reason, a big reason why I get a lot of my clients now, instead of tracking, because it used to be tracking protein, carbs, calories, fats, majority of my clients, I just get them tracking protein and calories and they can do what the hell they want with carbs and fats because it's just not relevant when it comes to fat loss. Yeah, you, I've, I've said for a long time that a big reason you, you might start losing weight, losing weight, losing fat on a low carb diet you're not only cutting out carbs, as you say, you're increasing protein. You're also cutting down your fat a hell of a lot because no, or very, very few people will have a slice of bread and not have butter on it or have right. pasta without some kind of sauce or a load of cheese on it or potatoes, the same thing. Like no one goes and bakes a potato and then just sits there and eats it like an apple. Like, it oh, just, I do. Yeah, that's, that's me, man. That's, that's a bit of me. Just, uh, just munching on a sweet potato. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I definitely do not do that. I, would, <laughs> I don't think I'd have many friends if that was the case. But it, it's something that you kind of like, you touched on there, like you said, it's fats that usually come along with the carbohydrates that you're also bringing down, therefore yeah. total calories. Like when people think of sugary food, like let me do it to you actually. Yeah. Like what, what is a sugary food? When yeah. I say sugary mm -hmm. food, what do you think? Cake biscuits, chocolate, cool. Exactly, right? But what are these foods actually consisting of? It's like a majority of them, is, you know, fats, like cookies and ice cream and chocolate. If you look at their macronutrient composition, they're actually predominantly made up of fats. And then you know, the carbs and sugars are, yes, a big part of it, but then they're, they're not the most part of it. So it's not just sugar, you know, it's not just sugar, it's not just carbs, because it's the beautiful blend that these food companies have been working so tirelessly to you know to create an orgasm in your mouth known as the bliss point um which makes you want more you're like oh god that was so tasty i can't wait to have some more of it you know quick give me my fix my cookie fix but rarely do you find someone rolling up lines of just pure sugar and snorting them because they're addicted to sugar or just eating a bowl of sugar like fuck off no one's doing that you know people are eating the hyper palate of hyper palatable foods which basically just means really damn tasty um so these really damn tasty foods and it's that it's the blend of sugar fats salt texture take you know all of these things that food companies work hard for to make you want to eat more and then buy their shit um and again that's where people get confused they're like sugary foods are, it's, it's a misnomer it's a complete misnomer Sorry, I, I, when, I, when I get started on this stuff, I'm like, I'm like ranting away. <laughs> um, we can see, certainly see where your passion lies. <laughs> I just like to say hyperpalatability because it's really tough for me to get my lips to move that fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I... <laughs> Sorry. So five times, it's good. Five times executed really well so far. I'm glad it was you saying it and not me. What others have you got? <laughs> Just have super a word off. Yes, yeah, supercalifragilistic expialidocious. I think that was my, my next best one. Um, I think I stole Luke's one there, actually. Um, but Luke, it's all right. You can go back and steal my one. That's fine. A, a lot more simple, but still want your take on it. Lifting weights alone can make you bulky. Yeah. Well, this this is usually stemming from... I would say females yeah, more than yeah. males, right? You know, and yes, let's just put it this way. If I wanted to learn golf 
and I went to Tiger Woods <laughs> and I said, hey, I'd really like to learn golf. And he goes, whoa, 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 you know, just make sure you don't become a pro, you know? And like, that's kind of how I think of it when people are like, oh, I want to lift weights, but I don't want to get bulky. It's like, yeah. trust me, I've been trying for the last like 10 years to get bulky. It's not that fucking easy. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think like you said, that's usually the, the best argument with that one. Um, but some interesting stuff, which I've actually seen recently is how women can actually put on as much muscle as men relative. So relative to their size, relative to their body, they can actually, men and women actually build muscle at similar rates. Obviously the difference is, you know, men are start, you know, they start with much more muscle and they're just generally much bigger. But like you said, unless you're training to get huge, so you're eating in a big calorie surplus, you are lifting, you know, consistently heavy, 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 and you're pushing it to the absolute limit with trying to put on as much muscle as you can it's very hard as i've just said because i've been trying for the last decade to get bulky um and it's yeah it's not as easy as picking up a weight and then turning into ronnie coleman the next the next day um i think a lot of it comes from like in the first year of lifting like that's when you're going to get your most gains right so like after that it's just an absolute uphill slog so I think people just need to enjoy, if anything, if they get gains like fast in their first year, whether they're females or not, like enjoy them, embrace them because you're never going to get those again. And it's just making sure you're putting them into the areas you want to put them in. Like if you're doing it from an aesthetics point of view. So if you're a woman who doesn't want massive traps, well, don't do a shit ton of shrugs and deadlifts and things that are going to, you know, build those muscles up. Um, If you're, if you're wanting to shape up your glutes and your hamstrings and your quads and maybe your shoulders, then great, you know, go in with the intention to try to build as much muscle as you can, because even when you think you're going to be putting on a lot of muscle, you're most likely not. And again, a lot of it's determined by genetics anyway. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Cause like I said, it's not like, it's one of these things which I used to be so like, yeah, you know, you can't, you can't get bulky. It's like, actually th- there is some side to it where, you know, there's an element that you could, and we've seen it with, you know, girls who are bodybuilders, for example, right? But again, when it comes down to it, these girls are like, it is their life to put on muscle. Most of them are also on performance enhancing drugs. So they are higher elevated levels of testosterone and anabolic hormones within their body. Um, So unless you have that, or you have testicles hanging beneath you, it's going to be very hard again to be building as much muscle as a man. So, I yeah. think on top of that, most people don't realize just how hard you have to push yourself, how much you need to fatigue the muscles. Like it's not just a case of waking up and feeling a little bit sore the next day, <laughs> but you, you've got to be breaking stuff. Um, like yeah. people might, I always say that you don't, and you don't know what your true max is with a lift until you've been stuck under a bar, like until you've been laying on a bench with a bar across your chest, looking around and shouting at strangers to help you lift it off. You don't know. Shame. What you're, yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, you've, you've sat down in a squat rack and you can't get up again. And you think you're going to be stuck there forever. You don't know what it actually is to push to your limit. You, you know, you might know what it is to push quite hard, but you need to be going to that limit multiple times a week and if you've never been there you're not gonna get big yeah i mean i've actually got a post coming up um and it's the reason you can't build muscles because you train like a pussy Uh, because a lot of unfortunately a lot of people who are struggling to build muscle they just don't train hard enough so again like it's it's one of those quotes which i saw from arnold i think good old arnold godfather of, of bodybuilding he said like um somebody says oh i don't want to look like you and it's like don't worry you never will and it's like it's true because there's an element of like you know this is this is tough like you really have to take yourself to places which are not nice and they are painful and most people just don't want to train like that right they just want to train to feel healthy maybe look a bit better lose a few pounds whatever but to actually you know slab on some muscle and like some decent muscle yeah it's it's a commitment and a, a, a power of will um i would actually say trying to build muscles harder than losing fat so like when it came to you know coming back to my, my competitive um fit like season i guess you could call it 
um, the losing fat was actually easier than trying to do the bulking between that, like to try to put on the muscle because, you know, you've got, it's not like you've got a competition at the end, which is going to drive you to it. And um, you're not just trying to, you know, keep hold of the muscle you've got, like you're trying to build new. So you're trying to basically sit yourself down and eat when you don't want to eat. Like that's horrible. I hate it having to like blend up my food and force feed myself because I need to get these calories in so that I can build muscle. People don't see that side of it. Like people don't think like, oh yeah, you know, building muscle. It's like, oh, yeah, it's all fun and games until you have to, you know, get your seventh meal down of beef and rice and try to, you know, make sure you don't throw up before then, you know, having to go and squat 200 kilos for freaking 10 reps or whatever it is and make sure you get an internal hemorrhage. It's like, oh, it's, it's but I make it, just, I make it sound to be much more hardcore than it is, by the way, because you don't necessarily have to go through all that to build muscle, but. Um, there, there is an element to it, like of how, like again, I guess it comes down to um, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word now. But like people's expectations. There you go. So like, if you want to put on a bit of muscle, like it's not that hard. Like again, you know, stay within a particular rep range, implement progressive overload, make sure you get your protein in. But if you're like, no, I want to get jacked, like I want to get really, really big, then that's where you have to then go to that kind of like, you know dark place and horrible place but yeah that was a, again another tangent there so apologies if i've just gone off on one so last one the idea that your metabolism slows down or stops when you go to sleep so therefore if you eat anything late at night it, it just goes into your body and your body says no i'm not digesting this and just sticks it straight into fat stores so you've just got those those late night crisps sitting on your your stomach how, how uh, that's funny. I've not, I've not heard people say it switches off at night. I mean, imagine that. Imagine how far we'd get in evolution if, <laughs> if, our, if our metabolism decided just to like go, nah, fuck it. I'm all right. I'm taking the night off. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not breaking down this food and helping you out with energy. Nah. <laughs> so that's, that's funny because again, I think it comes, it's, it's good to define things, right? So like when we talk about metabolism, and I would, I would put forth that this is probably the biggest misnomer in all of fitness, right? Because people just use it to describe everything. It's like this magical entity inside you that dictates your body composition and, and everything else. Um, when in actual fact, it's all these chemical reactions that are happening inside your body. It's happening right now as we're talking to each other and, you know, Paul's drinking his glass of water, you know, all these chemical reactions are happening and they're catabolic, so they're breaking shit down and they're providing energy or they are anabolic, so they're using energy to build stuff up, right? And that's, and that's constantly happening. And there's, you know, it's, it's um, a very intrinsic, you know, basically roadmap of lots of different metabolic pathways that are happening. And that's not going to switch off. Like, that's not going to stop um, because, you know, you've reached a certain time. It's always happening. It's happening when you're sleeping, it's happening, you know, when you're sat down. Again, that's where a lot of people talk about BMR, right? So BMR is your basal metabolic rate. It's all these reactions that are happening when you're just lying down, sat in a bed, doing fuck all. It's still, you require calories and energy for you to be performing all of these internal functions. So I think that's that kind of cleared up with regards to metabolism is not one thing. It's yeah. not something you turn on and off. Yeah, I think a lot of people think it's, it's purely to do with food and like your digestive system breaking down your food. Yeah. And obviously, as you said, it's not, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, because otherwise, what would be the point in doing biochemistry, right? If, if it was just a case of, oh, yeah, it's just stuff you digest, you know, it's cool. Ah, sweet. No, we don't need to know any more about it. But it, it's, it's all of these reactions that are happening. Um, and then we also have the, kind of the expenditure part of it like we just spoke about the bmr but also meat plays into that you know thermic effect of food active exercise that you're doing as well all of these you know play a part into it and eating late with that converting into fat <laughs> it just comes back down to like you know similar to the carbohydrate you know story it's it's your overall calorie expenditure you know you could eat one meal a day at 10 p.m. and if it's within your calorie allowance you will still lose fat right so it comes down to your total calories you know calories in calories out part of that equation the timing of it doesn't matter you may disrupt your sleep if you're eating late but 
if anything, eating carbs before bed is actually a good thing um, because there's the element of recovery from that. And as we spoke about, carbohydrates release insulin um, and that becomes a storage hormone. So if you're eating protein alongside that, it will then help to store those amino acids or drive the amino acids into the cells, I should say. Apart from one, actually, tryptophan, which then goes up into the, uh, into the brain through the blood-brain barrier um, and is a precursor to melatonin, which is our, um, basically like initiated for sleep and then also for serotonin, so um, making us feel good. So having carbohydrates before bed is actually a good thing, if anything, because um, you'll have better quality of sleep, better recovery, and you'll feel happy. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good triad of, of things to be feeling before you go to bed. So yeah, that, uh, that's just another thing that needs to die uh, and people don't need to be too worried about eating before bed. Yeah, I, I had a, a good breakdown of the idea a few days ago and the conclusion they basically came to into at the end uh, and said, look, no one eats a tub of Ben and Jerry's when they wake up in the morning. They only do that at night. If you're eating at night and you think that's why you're, you're gaining fat, look at what you're eating at night, not the fact that you, you are eating at night. Exactly. It's Netflix, you know, it's chilling, especially now it's getting colder. It's like, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of this. You know, lockdown was a great, you know, great um, uh, dictator of that as well. Like my thing was cheese. I don't know why, but I just fucking pile drive cheese every night. Um, but yeah, like you say, you need to look at what you're eating. And it's usually like in the evening, you're snuggling up, you want some snacky, feel good food, which is going to be <laughs> hyper palatable and calorie dense. And therefore it's going to put you over your calories. And that's what's, that's what's the issue. Luke, anything to add? No. <laughs> oh, well, uh, on that. <laughs> Thanks for your input, Luke. I appreciate you. Thanks for your input. <laughs> I think with a lot of these things, it comes down to summing out well, doesn't it? And yeah, I like, to be honest, I think I really like your Tiger Woods defini definition. What we talked about a little while ago, mm. in order to do something, you've got to do it a lot. And that's, that's the main thing I'm going to go back to, because I agree with everything you said. Um, but from an injury perspective as well, when I prescribe things to people, I do it in a similar way. So... I basically get them to focus on one thing at a time, just like if you were to periodize anything. And when they question, why are we only working on one of these things at a time? I, the way I describe it is, it's a bit like if you go and see a doctor and you're prescribed medication, I'm not going to give you an antibiotic to take for one day and then something else to take for another day. We're going to give you a good dosage of it and then you'll get adaptations. And um, yeah, it might seem thoroughly off, to, off topic here, but... In the same way, if you want to lose fat, you've got to do things in high dosage. You've got to train regular. If you want to build muscle, you've got to do that in high dosage. But yeah, that, that tiger was an allergy. I like it. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I, steal, I steal a lot of things I hear in these podcasts. Hey, that's good. That's, um, that's how we all like no said, we, all, we all draw from the same pool of information, right? So it's yeah. just uh, Absolutely. putting your own spin on it. But yeah, that's good. Yeah totally um josh thanks very much for coming on it's been great having you um Appreciate it. where can people go to find out more about you um or to find out about your online coaching and etc etc so i'm most active on instagram so at josh taylor pt very original i know uh also my facebook page with the same name my website same name josh taylor pt.com if you guys want to find out about online coaching and you're interested in fat loss muscle building learning the science of all of this and, and busting through that. That's where I try to put up all that stuff, but predominantly on Instagram is where you'll find a lot of my content and uh, you can consume it at your own leisure. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. We'll do it again sometime. And sure. uh, Luke, same question. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm Zen underscore anatomy. Facebook, Zen Anatomy Sports Therapy, and website is zenanatomy.co.uk. I'm uh, Paul Rose PT across the board, paulrosept.com. And you can also find the podcast, if we ever post anything ever again, um, got a bit lazy with that, at Talking Fit Pod uh, on Instagram. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today, and we will speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye.